All right, you're listening to a brand new podcast, Keep on Tolkien, with me, Danny J, and Joel N. We're here talking about Tolkien. So, yeah, Tolkien's something that's really important to both me and Joel. Um, so, yeah, we've been wanting to do a podcast for a while about it, um, just because we end up talking about it for many hours all the time anyway. And we thought maybe, maybe there's a chance somebody might enjoy listening. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. And hopefully, in hopefully. the long run maybe we'll get to hear from other people. <laughs> and just ultimately our friends are probably tired of hearing it, so maybe some other people yeah, can so hear it. Yeah, so it's a good creative outlet to spare them. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, just a little bit about us. Um, I started reading Tolkien um, probably in, I think it was in 2001. I read The Hobbit right uh, as the first um, Lord of the Rings film was coming out. Um, yeah, I read The Hobbit. Uh, I loved it. It's been my my favorite book ever since up until i read the silmarillion <laughs> in 2011 and that has been my favorite book ever since um i basically had two different periods of tolkien in my life the childhood period of tolkien which was like mm-hmm. the hobbit and the lord of the rings and i think joel you can definitely agree with me on this oh, right yeah. mm-hmm. there's two different phases mm-hmm. um <laughs> yeah so i've been into tolkien for a long time um, I've been obsessed with it since 2011, um, when I revisited it for the first time in my adult life. I reread the trilogy in The Hobbit, and then I read on I read on to read The Silmarillion, The Children of Hurin, Unfinished Tales, and yeah, the whole rest of the Legendarium. I'm currently working my way through History of Middle-Earth series. What book are you on now? I'm reading Morgoth's Ring. I didn't start at the beginning. Okay. What about you, Joel? So for me, it started with the movies. When I was a kid, it was just revolutionary for me. When I went into the theater and I got to see, you know, The Fellowship of the Ring or The Two Towers or The Return of the King, that was that was my life as a kid for a while. You know, rewatching the extended editions, you know, at least a couple times a month, if not weekly. Oh, yeah. But uh, for me, it didn't even bridge into the books until much more recently. Um, when they... When they told us that they were going to make a Hobbit movie, that's when I got excited and I decided to go back and reread the Hobbit book. Because I think I'd read it when I was a little kid, but that's when I really started to love it, is after I reread it as an adult. And then that led me into actually reading the trilogy for the first time. I didn't even do yeah. that until about a year ago. It was about a year ago, yeah. It was about a year ago, yeah. yeah. So this is the. it's a pretty recent love for me, but it, it just turned into a huge fire like right away. Yeah, it, it was great. I, I basically had to... I had to bring Joel in on this because <laughs> nobody else in my life has read. I mean, they've read. Some people have read The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, but like when it gets into the nitty gritty shit, like mm-hmm. Joel's the only one. Well, I yeah. That, I mean, that's also how it started off for me. And I don't think I would have gone as far into it as I had if it wasn't for you. As soon as I got done with the trilogy, that's when you were like, hey, let's sit it. down and let's read through the Silmarillion, which is what we did. We read through the Silmarillion with the uh, audiobook in the background, which Fuck is how yeah. I got through it my first time. And it was. Yeah, if you, if you ever get a new experience. And if you're when you're reading that book, if you ever read the Silmarillion, it, it is good to follow along with the audiobook. The audiobook is. Uh, I can't remember what year it's from, but it's uh, Martin Shaw reads it, and he's he's really good, fucking fantastic. I don't, yeah. I don't even want to know how many times he had to re- do retakes just because he has to pronounce everything so perfectly. Mm-hmm. And he does every time. But after the Silmarillion, I went into the Children of Hurin, and then after the Children of Hurin, I went into 
what was it, The Unfinished Tales, and I got a good chunk into that, and then Baron and Luthien came out, and I, mm. and I just tore through Baron and Luthien, and that was... More to come on Baron and Luthien. Yeah, that's a whole other episode. But that's a little bit of our background, so Danny's kind of a long-time Tolkien lover, and I'm a much more recent, but He's that's recent part, of the, part of the reason why we want to do this podcast is because we don't want this to be something where we just sit out here and talk hardcore to the other extreme Tolkieners. I want to appeal to the people that, uh, that uh, I want to be something that I would have listened to originally. Before yeah, you got into Before the... I got into yeah. it. I want, to, I want to show others what this is like. You know, I want to appeal to those and show them that there is a lot more. As amazing as the movies are, as amazing as, you know, just The Hobbit and the trilogy is, the books... There's there's so much more, but there's anyway, so much more. A little bit of a ramble, but that's that's sort of our background. Yeah, but uh, we're thinking about doing about ten episodes. This is our pilot. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Episode one. Thanks for listening. More to come. Um, for the first episode, we wanted to start off with something that uh, we think everybody could relate to. So we're going to start off with something pretty recent: the Hobbit movies. In Keep it simple. It may be a little controversial, but I hope not. I hope it's not controversial too, but I feel that there's going to be people that don't like it. What yeah. we're about to well, say. we'll see how many people even listen to it. Right, when we see how many people <laughs> listen to it I first off. That'll, that'll give yeah. us a good idea. But so the first episode, episode one tonight, we are going to talk about the Hobbit trilogy movies that just came out and why, why they, they suck. They suck. They because they do. They're just they're just bad. I mean, as far as film goes they're bad and as far as the literature goes i mean we're gonna get into that anyway which sucks because like i wanted to like them joel like and we we both went through this like we oh, wanted yeah. to like especially because for like years it was an, a lot of anticipation not only had you know we've been waiting for the hobbit movie for what 10 odd years and then also i'm a huge huge peter jackson fan like <laughs> Like, ridiculous. Like, even, like, other than the Lord of the Rings trilogy, I love, you know, King Kong, Meet the Feebles, Dead Alive, Bad Taste, The Frighteners, Heavenly Creatures. These are all fucking fantastic movies. Like, and I I, I hate them. I hate the Hobbit trilogy. Yeah, they're pretty bad. So we're going to break it down for you a little bit. We uh, cut it down into a few categories that we're going to try to touch on, and we're going to start with category one. Category one. Yeah, so first category is also a term that we're going to coin right off the bat. Morgul, Morgul technology. Morgul tech. Morgul tech. Okay, so let's just, first of all, let's look at the word Morgul, right? <laughs> the word well, f- first, let's just relate it to what everyone can can uh, catch on to. You'd probably recognize it most from the original trilogy movies, the right. Morgul blade that uh, Frodo gets stabbed with on Weathertop from one of the ringwraiths that melts, poisons him. Yeah. The blade itself dissipates into dust, and whatever is in his flesh just dissipates into his wound, and it infects you, and it brings you to the darkness. Right, so big part of the first film, the the uh, the Morgul blade. So, Morgul technology. Um, Morgul technology, Morgul is the, word for, the Elvish word for sorcery. So it means sorcery of a dark nature. So like Minas Morgul, which is the city, means tower of sorcery. There you go. So Morgul is something used by sorcerers, black sorcerers, which uh, of chief among them, the Nazgul, right? The only people that have the power to wield this and dark weaponry. Even chief among them, 
Right. Chief, chief among them, the Witch King, Witch King. of Angmar, mm-hmm. who stabs Frodo at Weathertop. He's with the one that does it. He's the one the one that does we it. We don't see any of the other ones with the Morgul blades. Yeah, are we even really sure that they carry them? Because they carried around some uh, long broadswords, and then in that scene on Weathertop, when he gets stabbed, he pulls, he pulls out a out, shorter yeah, he knife. he pulls out yeah. a short blade, yep. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that's how it's described in the book, but I... I yeah, it's a, it's a, they call it, an, in the book, they, I believe they call it a knife, don't they? They refer it to it as be, a yeah. knife. Morgul knife, Morgul Because isn't the, the... Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. So yeah, the Morgul knife, the Morgul blade. It's um, a very specific weapon for a very, very specific, specific person right. who's using it specifically because they are, what, the Witch King. And what's weird about that is they do get into that in The Hobbit, too, which is weird. Yeah, they kind of contradict weird, themselves But they contradict the themselves within but. the film, yeah. like So the the Morgul blade, uh, it, it takes... There's two really um, Morgul blade-driven stories in The Hobbit trilogy, mm-hmm. and one of which is... The White Council, which was cool that they, included. which is really cool. That's one of the things that we do like about the like. This is the White Council because that been done better, but I'm not going to complain about it. Right. It was cool that they even added it because it's it's not in the Hobbit book at all, um, and uh, you know it's mostly mentioned in in the Book of Lost or not the Book of Lost Tales. Oh God, the unfinished tales. Isn't it in the uh, appendix as well? Yeah, I think it's yeah in okay. the appendix as well. Um. Yeah, so the Morgul, the Morgul blade. They find so in the movie, is it Radagast? There's a Gandalf finds the, finds the Morgul blade. So so the Morgul blade came up in the uh, White Council portion of the Hobbit movies, which was not originally in the book, but they did add it in. It did happen around the same or during the exact same time that the storyline of the Hobbit did. So they're they're piecing more of the universe together with the Hobbit story, which I liked. Mm-hmm. That was cool. But part of this scene um, is about the uh, the White Council. That's Gandalf, Elrond, Galadriel, and Saruman. Saruman. And uh, Gandalf is bringing to their attention that evil is back, even though they don't want to believe it. And they well, and I also Cirdan, I believe. Is Cirdan supposed to be? I'm there? pretty sure fucking Cirdan. Okay, me and Joel have this thing about the character Cirdan. Cirdan the Shipwright, who is probably the best character of all time, but you're going to hear more about him later. Well, yeah, we will talk all about Cirdan the Shipwright. Just wait. But during the White Council, uh, Gandalf specifically uses this Morgul dagger. Yeah, he throws it down on the table and he's like, look who's back. He uses that as proof that, in fact, none other than the Witch King or the Nazgul in general are back. By and and by this we can assume that these are the only people that use this t- this tech. This, this is technology. their technology. Yes, this is their technology. This is their Morgul tech. So yeah. So that happens in the movie. They use the Morgul blade to convince the White Council to go to war against uh, um, the Necromancer in um, in Dol Guldur, mm-hmm. which is cool. That's another thing that's pretty cool about the movie. Dol Guldur is cool. Um. <clears throat> yeah. So also then later on in the movie, there's also another. This is, this is mainly where the gripe comes from. This is the gripe. So that so that is one. I don't gripe about them using the 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 Morgul blade yeah, as the first instance is is very acceptable. That's fine. And like if they did that and they left it at that, that'd be fine. But what the shit that they do later on in the movie is infuriating. Is is a fucking travesty. Like I don't even understand. Anyway, okay. So later on in the movie, there is um. Something used that we've never heard of before, um, the Morgul arrow, used by uh, an orc. 
Mm-hmm. His this, sh- is, this is during the scene, the barrel scene, where they are they uh, are in the river in the barrels, getting out of the elven stronghold. Bilbo just broke them out, and they're going down the river, and for whatever reason, they decided that there needed to be a fight scene here. Right. So they decided to add in this whole bunch of mumbo-jumbo, and then on top of that, they threw in this arrow that has a, a morgul A morgul-tipped arrow. What? Right. And Hold on. It's an orc that shoots it's it, an not yeah, a no, Nazgul. The, w- the Witch King, the Nazgul are nowhere to be seen. They're not even fully in body form mm-hmm. at this point, and they are also not connected with this team of orcs. This team of like orcs only- has a bad has some bad blood for the the line of Durin and it doesn't have anything to do with the fucking necromancer. Doesn't have anything to do with the uh the Nazgul like the the only bullshit that you could totally like and this is what people are going to say. I can already hear them, Joel. Defenders of the film. They're going to say they mention in the film that the orcs are from Gundabad. Wasn't Gundabad a stronghold of the northern kingdom of Angmar? Yeah, it was. And I'm sure the Witch King just left a bunch of his yeah, blades. Yeah, and he left around. a bunch of fucking Morgul arrows around for any Jagoff orc to just shoot at passersby. Yeah, it just it doesn't it doesn't even make sense within the films. The fact that they would use that blade is proof that none other than the Nazgul are back, and yet at the same time, some random ass orc is just using it to shoot one of the hob or one of the dwarves I, I don't even think he has a particular one in mind he just decides to whip this out and shoot one shoot one with it like mm-hmm. it just happens and that also leads into i think your next category category 2 category 2 after the dwarf i think it's keely gets it's keely after Keeley gets hit with this arrow, he gets poisoned naturally, and then they try to bring back all the shit that happened in the Lord of they the They literally movies. do the same cockamamie shit that they yeah, use. They're just the trying to bring back stuff from the successful trilogy and throw it into the new one. But anyway, so later down down the line, now Keeley is dying because he got a Morgul infection that she, he mm-hmm. should have never gotten, so somehow they need to magically heal them. And what happens, Danny? The phenomenon I like to call Nandor magic. In order to explain Nandor magic, we need to explain... The three different types of elves, one of which is Nandor. One of which is Nandor. Well, the, well, let's just say there are many different types of elves. There's a whole bunch of different classifications. There's umbrellas. There's umbrella charts. Anyway, so the Nandor are lesser elves. They do not, they never saw the light of the trees. This they, is the ultimate point, yeah. Yeah, the ultimate point is that these are lesser elves. They do not have knowledge of lore. These are the elves that we run into during The Hobbit. The Hobbit. They Mirkwood. live, yeah, this in, is in Mirkwood. This uh, the red-haired chick... Oh, I forgot. Her name is Tadiel. Toriel or something like that. I, I already forgot. Yeah, anyway, so they add this character, Toriel, who they add to... I mean, I guess you could say they added a female... They tried to add a female character, but really they kind of defeated their purpose by just bringing her in as an object of a love triangle. Yeah, it was... In a, she was just a pretty silly character anyway. Not necessary. But anyway, but anyway so in the movie, she, she heals... Yeah, she heals the wound of she does some elf magic shit just like in the movie just like in the first Lord of the Rings movie which uh, that's what really bothers me is that they generalize it as some self elf magic shit mm-hmm. like so she heals the morgul wound with some elvish song and some uh and some ethelas um <laughs> <laughs> so like Kingsoil that's a weed. Yeah, Kingsoil that's a weed. That's what everyone always says when they say ethelas King's foil, that's a weed. Yeah, people smoke it. That's what they're trying to say. Um. Anyway, 
so she she solves that shit pretty quick um and which is like baffling to me because you got to look at how the the first wound that we uh, really the only, the only morgul wound that we ever hear about from tolkien is frodo mm-hmm. at weathertop so comparatively so far we've got two different types of elves that worked on him um in, with the case that actually happened in the trilogy when frodo got hit let's just add in that he also nearly died and he never healed from the he wound never afterwards. totally healed yeah and who worked on frodo to barely save his life we have yeah so let's look at not that not only elrond who is in aldor but we also had gandalf who is not only one of the wizards but he is also a Maiar, which we can just say early on is like a, a sub-god, a demigod. Uh, yeah, yeah. They're uh, the helpers of the... Not of only the, that. Yeah. Not only that, but both so, yeah, of these only. two. So, okay. yeah, what is special? So there's there's something special beyond them being Naldor and Maiar. There's something special about the two characters in that they are both bearers of two of three of the great elven rings. Of power. Of power. Yes, so two, not only two of the greatest characters of all time, being Elrond, an ultimate lore master of the Noldor, which is like one of the highest race of elves that we encounter, and then you've got a wizard who is also a Maiar. And they have powers all to their own. They have powers all to their own, but they also needed the powers of their rings, rings. and they barely got And they barely made it. And they barely made it. And let's just look... A little more specific. This is what oh, where it really pisses me off, because well, if you look at it more specifically, which two of the rings are we using? Mm-hmm. We're using the red ring, which is gives you what well, the red ring's power is to inspire people to resist evil and tyranny, and also oppression. That is the ring that Gandalf has. Now you may and wonder why Gandalf has an elven ring. Well, that was yeah. given how, to him by how, none how other did than, that happen, Joel? That was given to him by none other than Kyrdan, the shipwright. The fucking shipwright. But anyway, so we'll get to Kyrdan later. We'll do a whole. We you want to do a whole fucking episode yeah, about Kyrdan? We're gonna do, we're gonna do so coming soon. Coming soon. <laughs> um, yeah. So Kyrdan, the shipwright, gives him the, the, elven, ring. the elven ring. That is uh, the resistance of evil, and yeah. then Elrond has Elrond has the white ring. Or no, excuse me. He has the blue ring, the sapphire ring, and that has the the power to heal and preserve. Mm. So it literally took the combined power of the healing and preservation ring and the ring to inspire to resist evil and a, a demigod and a fucking demigod and the most powerful lore master in Middle Earth. And they barely and they barely fucking did it. He never healed. He never healed to the point where he had to leave Middle Earth because he was like, this shit hurts and it ruined my whole life and I'll never be the same. But this lower form of elf was yeah. able to just magically heal fucking Keely of this random Morgul arrow by the herself. The wound that shouldn't have even happened. That shouldn't have even, And she used King Soy also in the healing process, which... I just want to point out also in the trilogy was not used as a, is is a healer but as a something to slow down the poison. It didn't heal anything. It just stopped the poison from spreading. Right. Cancer. Well, and they she healed them with they it. They also use done. it um, remember to heal people from the black breath. Yep. Which is like um uh something oh, that's right. They did do yeah. that. So in like the basically the King, they used a lot of they, that. Yep, they used a lot of it in the houses of healing. Yeah. Yep. Because of Aragorn was like Aragorn okay. always shows up and's like like I swear to god he gets paid 
from the people that make Kingsfoil or Ethelas because he just shows up <laughs> and he's like, yo, you ever heard of this Ethelas plan? It's super dope at healing well, and it stuff. Was, uh, it was something that was passed down from the Numenorians. It was part of their medicine that got lost to time. Some of the uh, old wives had heard about it and used it in a few different things, but nobody knew like the full healing power of it until Aragorn came back around and was like, hey, why don't we try using... Mm-hmm. And that's when they say the hands of the king are the hands of a, a, a of healer, the, yeah. right? And that's when they're like, this is our king right here. But uh, anyway, moving forward. Yeah, moving forward. So Nandor magic couldn't have happened. Wounds shouldn't have happened. And um, it's ludicrous that people... That I, it's, 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 it undermines itself in a way that like I don't understand. Like, I can't believe it got put into film. Yeah, I can't, I can't believe it. So that's there. That's right. there, and that to me, the, the Nandor magic and the Morgul tech, those were the two, like when we sat down to write this episode, we were like, all right, come up with two big ones. Those were mine. And, gotta tear them. And like, yeah, <laughs> like we, oh, it's so frustrating, <laughs> so frustrating. Like, I don't know how it got into the movie. And um, yeah, so there's that. That's why I hate The Hobbit. And that can uh, bridge us into three actually third category the whole business between keely and the elf that magically healed him i already forgot her name toriel toriel that whole love interest thing was just not only necessary because they already set up some other weird love thing going on with uh, legolas but there's no legolas who has no right to be in in hell that an elf and a dwarf not only would do it but could do it they don't copulate that's 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 our point three the whole point three why elves and dwarves would not mate (laughs) to put it so there so there's there's two things i want to touch on in this and that is um not only why they wouldn't and couldn't reproduce sexually but also I wanted to touch on the disparities between the dwarves and the elves, why they just generally don't get along in society, because they almost never have. Well, I shouldn't say that, but for a long time they haven't. So going first to why they could not even possibly reproduce is because they are actually made by two different gods entirely. So in the beginning, when uh, the uh, the original one god... Iluvatar. Iluvatar. He made the planet and everything, and there's a whole series of events that goes along with that. But uh, ultimately, he announced that he was going to make uh, his own people. But uh, meanwhile, while these some of these gods were getting the Earth ready, uh, one of the seven Valar, named Aule. Aule. He, also known as Mahal. He was the uh, the god of uh, what is it the earth and smithing and creating things and yeah he, basically uh, Father Earth if, yeah, if you want to oversimplify yeah, you yeah. could look at it that way um, so naturally he has this uh, huge inspiration to create things so he without the knowledge of Ilavatar he does it secretly down in the, in the underground I think he mm-hmm. creates the dwarves they actually came first before yeah. men before elves he secretly created the was it seven dwarves seven fathers of the dwarves the seven fathers yeah. of the dwarves and one of then, which was uh, Durin and like almost all the dwarf stories we hear about just as a side note come from the line of Durin yeah most of the dwarf stories we hear about come from the line of Durin but there were six other lines but yeah don't uh, hear about so them much but the elves were made by by Al- or I'm sorry the dwarves were made by Aule um uh, when the, the god found out that he had made them he made them more or less put them into hiding or uh 
Sleep. Sleep. Well, sure. the, you remember the, the reason... Hibernation until, everyone, until the main god decided he was finally going to bring about, you know, the elves and the men. Then he would let the, the dwarves out again. But anyway, mm-hmm. so that's how we got the dwarves separate from the men and elves. They're made yeah. by a completely different god. That's such a great... They're, diff- they're differently made, obviously. They're shorter. They're stout. They're really hardy. They can do hard labor for long periods of time, and it's a totally different species. They're, yeah, they're more. They're made of literally the stuff of the earth. They're like the earth incarnate, really. Yeah, entirely different species. So that's why they couldn't reproduce. And second of all, they would never get into that whole love business because of all of the bad blood. Bad blood. Bad blood between the elves and the dwarves. So the elves and the dwarves have hated each other. For a long time at this point in the Third Age, you know, during the Hobbit story. And that goes all the way back to the First Age, which is the, the rich, some of the rich texts that we hope to uh, introduce some of you to. Hopefully. And one of the, one of the things that happens uh, towards the end of a beautiful series of events in the First Age is a battle between the Sindar, which you could see them as the lesser form of elves, the gray elves, the gray elves, and uh, the dwarves from the Blue Mountains. Because in the Blue Mountains, there were two dwarven strongholds back in the day. That was uh, Belgast and, and Norograd. Norograd, thank you. Um, so during the first age, there's a big series of events around something called the Silmarils, which is going to obviously make you think of the Silmarillion. It's kind of what it's all about. There's a big deal. At this point in the story, in the first age, they, some of the Sindar hire the dwarves from Belagost and Narag to use their smithing tools to take one of these most coveted gems of all time and put it into one of these uh, dwarven necklaces that the dwarves made that were just beautiful beyond measure. And they just made the most beautiful item like ever created. And uh, the recently I actually read something where Tolkien had two different versions of the stories of what happened here. It was uh, one of which. Do you said, remember what they call it, by the way? What quiz for you, Joel? Oh, the Noglamir. Yeah, the you knew of it. The necklace. Yeah, hell yeah. So the Noglamir was actually the Noglamir before they put the Silmaril into it, but they continued to call it that afterwards. It was just fucking beautiful. Why is it called the Noglamir? Um, hold on. Uh, because it's made by the Nalgrim, which is the dwarves, and it's like one of their most prized possessions. But anyway, so one of the stories is that the treasure that the Nalglamir came from was cursed by a dragon. And that is why as soon as the dwarves started to work on it, they instantly coveted it, and they didn't want to give it back to the elven king that hired them to make it and so there was fighting that ensued from there and they stole it they killed the elven king and they booked it back to their dwarven stronghold in the blue mountains and the second story is it's pretty similar it's basically the story where the gold wasn't cursed yeah they so the dragon we're talking about is glowering right Glaurung. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Glaurung is the one that was taken from the horde in Nargothrond. But that's sort of what started the disparities between the elves and the dwarves because that led to the elves chasing the dwarves down and killing them to take back the Nalglamir and the Silmaril. And then when the rest of the dwarves hear about that, they come in a full army and they sack that elven kingdom that is known as Menegroth. And the it's just caves. The, the thousand caves and it's all bad blood from there and they just do not get along. The only instance 
where that sort of heals is, uh, they talk about it in the Lord of the Rings, the secret door that they go to to get into mm-hmm. Moria, that was the elven door. Yeah, that was the side door for the elves. That was for the elves. Yeah, in Holland. Because the, the, the elves of Holland. The, uh, the dwarves at one point became kind of friends. The, the line of Durin became friends with uh, some of the Noldor because the Noldor were really into smithing and stuff. Right, and but they, anyway, they that both, was the closest yeah. they ever came. Uh, but we're not even dealing with an older right now. We're talking about the Sindar. We're talking about this chick that didn't exist with this uh, dwarf. They just would not be getting along. There's way too much bad blood there, and it is just well known that dwarves and elves, they just don't get along. They don't get along. And, yeah. And because the the ch- we know that... So elves and men are the ch- the two children of Ilavatar. Yeah. Right. And they and, intermingle. We've and they intermingle and we see that. And so we know for a fact based on people are the descendants of interbreeding between the two that children of Ilavatar can breed together. So interbreeding. Interbreeding. <laughs> we're going to get real we're going to get into some Middle-earth eugenics in a little bit. <laughs> um, yeah, interbreeding. So yeah, we know that that's possible. But um and because we're not even really sure if dwarves have spirits. Right? Oh, they don't exactly explain what happens to dwarves after they die. No, Unlike the children know. of Ilavartar, the elves and the men, it's you know, you know, your stereotypical soul. It's known that the elves you die go, and your your life force goes to the elves else. go to the Hall of Mandos. They go to the halls of Mandos. And the, the the men we don't know where they go. Yeah, that's the men's gift. That's the gift of Ilavartar. We don't know where they go when they die. They truly die, and they don't quite. No one quite knows where they go. And not, same with the dwarves. No one knows where they go either. Do they just end or? I like. I always thought because the dwarves are basically earth incarnate maybe that's why the dwarves were so advanced because they were basically atheists like they just right. after they're dead that's how it is in skyrim remember that's how they're because oh that's right yeah. that is exactly yeah. how it is in skyrim in skyrim the dwarves the dwemer are super um super, super advanced, advanced and they worship the gods of logic and reason <laughs> it says that in one of the load screens it's like they prefer their logic and reason oh man anyway gotta love skyrim yeah anyway. gotta love skyrim gotta love dwarves all right, so that was the end of part three, and I think we're just going to kind of wrap it up from there. So, so ultimately... Yeah. Looking like this may be a part one, because <laughs> we we can... We, we yeah, could bitch we, about this for days. We, yeah, and we, we have, do. literally. We like do. When we get fucked up, we just bitch about the Hobbit. Like, this is incredibly people walk controlled. People away from us at parties. People walk away from us. And we're trying not to make our listeners walk away. So we're right, just right, going exactly. to end it here for now. Please don't walk away. <laughs> we'll hope you'll tune in for more. We hope you uh, could find this somewhat relatable, being being that it's one of the recent movies. Um, again, our main gripes with it, three of the big ones that we had being big lovers of Tolkien were the... Morgul Tech. Morgul Tech. Nandor Magic. The Nandor Magic, and then the whole love thing between the elf and the dwarf was just... Not only necessary to have that character, but the love interest. And it was no. like honestly, it was just lazy writing to add that whole. Love it was. Thing. It like, was pretty sad, especially how it all sparked off after a dick joke. A dick joke. A dick joke. A dick joke. Let's just leave in it in Tolkien. A dick joke. There were multiple dick jokes in the Hobbit trilogies, and next time I fucking watch them, I'm gonna sit down and write how many dick jokes there are because I'm pretty sure there's more wow. than one. Way to go, Peter. You really yeah. did it this time. So, yeah, this is probably going to be a part one um, because we also did want to talk about there are some things that we did like 
about the oh, Hobbit. We didn't even talk about, and the we didn't really we talk about them. Sorry. So yeah, we get so lost in the hate. We get so lost in the hate that we we um. So yeah, this is definitely going to be a part. We'll one. have a more happy part two. Yeah, it'll this. be a little lighter. We'll talk about why we like it. We'll try. We'll try to keep it lighter. Try to keep that hate out. Anyway, so yeah, this is keep on Tolkien. Um, Thanks for listening, guys. This is our pilot. Hope it wasn't too rough. Hope it wasn't too rough. Tune um, in. Uh, tune in for part two. I'm sure it'll get better from here. Yeah, it'll only get better. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Keep on Tolkien. Keep on Tolkien.